0: Welcome to The How, The Why, with John Barrett Ingalls, exploring and celebrating the creative process and the creative purpose of authors, editors, artists, and publishers that make up and inspire the 1888 family. 1888 serves as a regional catalyst for the preservation, presentation, and promotion of cultural heritage and literary arts. Let's get creative.
1: Hello and welcome to the How the Why brought to you by 1888. My name is John Baird Ingalls, and today we are connected with Jason Piers. Oh, I should have asked you that before. Your last <laughs> name P-Y-R-Z. Am I pronouncing you, that correctly? You did that
2: beautifully. You're probably one of the, the 5% of the entire population of this planet that can get that right on a first try.
1: Oh, great, great. Well, Jason, Jason is the author of the Black Hill Press, 1888 title, Renaissance Spook. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So let's start off by uh, giving our listeners uh, a brief in, uh, explanation of the story and, and what it's about.
2: Sure, definitely. Yeah, Renaissance Spook is uh, its the story of a uh, disgruntled attorney who has a problem keeping jobs uh, and then uh, has a problem staying alive, it turns out. Uh, the, uh, kind of the twist to that, though, is that he, 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 he spends his afterlife working for the kind of celestial entity that was responsible for his untimely death. Um, and, uh, ends up really not liking that job so much, uh, as well. Um, so that's without giving too much away, that's pretty much it. Uh, the, uh, kind of the, the story in a nutshell. Now, it, it,
1: it's hard to read it without drawing comparisons to It's a Wonderful Life. Was there that a little bit of an influence? Um, Or just that? I mean, I guess there's that general story of like, wow, what would life be like without me?
0: Um, Yeah,
2: I I kind of, uh, you know, about maybe a quarter of the way through writing, the the way I wrote it was I I started, obviously you start with the beginning, uh, but then I jumped immediately to the end uh because i got this this great stroke of inspiration uh sitting in in the caribou coffee one day just typing away on my uh on my tablet uh and i thought oh this is a great ending so i i probably had maybe the first three or four chapters uh and then i immediately jumped to the end and put that down and um it wasn't until i went back to start Filling in the middle, that I realized. Oh, I guess this is kind of you know, it's it's a little bit of a, a George Bailey type of moment here, <laughs> um, and and I you know I I didn't want to to think that my readers were going to be complete idiots, uh, so I, I threw that out there. I, I I'm you know I'm pretty sure I make a reference to it uh, pretty much you know right away. Oh yeah, um, definitely. When uh, when the the main character goes and meets the uh, you know. The, the person who was responsible for his death, uh, his "quote-unquote" right. guardian angel, um, Horace. Horace, as exactly, a, as, yep. a, as
1: opposed to Clarence.
2: Yep, but, that, yeah. that was not intentional. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's uh, so yeah, I threw that out there to make sure that uh, you know what I tried to do was you know if if I did notice something was getting a little too close to something that might have already happened, you know, in either the film or literary world, I just went and called it out um and it was never really intentional when something like that would happen uh but then i would find myself going down that path and thinking you know someone's going to make the connection so i might as well call it out so it's not you know like i'm just completely ripping off uh this or that and i tried to you know as, as much as i got into it and you know there's um you know there are stories that are similar i think but you know as far as i know the the way the story progresses and the way the story turns out in the end I don't think there's uh, there's anything out there at least like I said that I know of that really you know it, it's kind of one of a kind I guess is what I'm getting at um, sure, obviously, sure. You know, it does take from from ghost stories here and there uh, does have a little bit of kind of the ghost feel you know the you know Patrick Swayze movie um, but not exactly so it, it borrows a lot from a lot of different places but it's it's like I like to tell people it's pretty much you know I don't think there's anything like it
1: Well, I I mean, it's something we've been fascinated for as long as we've been telling stories of what exactly happens after the physical body dies. You know, I I think about uh, Albert that Albert Brooks movie, Defending Your Life, when he sits and gets to watch with in the screening room and watches his entire life. And, uh, you know, sees all the mistakes and all the times that he was good and all the times he was bad, you know? And it's something that like, I don't know if I'm a product of the media that has been presented to me and the stories that have been told to me, but I mean, that's something that I think about. It's like, when it's over, am I going to look back and and say, oh, those are the times that you were the asshole and those are the times (laughs) you were the saint or, um, yeah. But you you put a different twist on it. Like you you've created this concept that what we think of as fate or luck is actually the uh, the workings of uh,
2: directors, the, the, the directors and yeah. their their various production assistants. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I think that was about the same time that I you know that I I kind of started and, and realized that it was you know slightly uh, you know wonderful life ish uh and i thought you know this would be kind of cool if i just kind of tied it in with you know we're just basically one big movie set for the celestial mm. audience um and i think uh you know f- to me i think it kind of worked pretty well um so i just ran with it and uh you know once i had that idea in terms of uh you know the directors and their various roles uh it just kind of created a whole new universe for me to be able to play with and say well now what if we do this with these guys and you know what if we throw this layer of bureaucracy on top of the directors like you know who's calling the shots who's the right. you know the executive director or whatever
1: yeah you bring up middle management and then the beyond the middle management and, yep, yep. Uh, um now now your main character Zachary is mm-hmm. a, a lawyer who's not enjoying that life Uh, he's married and he has a young daughter Uh, he played volleyball in college but ended up uh, uh, spending most of the time on the bench and you Jason uh, are are a lawyer uh, were a lawyer and uh, married and have a young daughter and uh, played volleyball in college as well Um, so I I'm wondering and I'm wondering in you know the least amount of effort uh because it's quite clear that this is kind of an examination of your own life um uh, but, but how how is that in in writing like so obviously everything is fictionalized but like was this your like oh, i'm going to take a look at everything that has happened and and yeah. write fictionalized
2: uh yeah the i mean the kind of the way this all started off was um you know i've always had in the back of my mind you know the idea to write an autobiography mm -hmm. and then having the immediate thought right after having the thought immediately after that thought of who the hell cares about me why would they (laughs) want to read an autobiography about some guy that's just you know some suburban chicago kid who's never done anything special um so then when i started writing this one i i i and I don't really know where it came from. Uh, you know, it just kind of hit me that, uh, you know, I'll write this, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll model the main character on my own life because, number one, it would be easy to do because I've sure. got, you know, this, instead of having to develop this character, the character's already developed. Um, you know, I can add on in places if I need to. But for the most part, um, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is you know, the truth, you know, the, the main character's name um that comes about and you know I'm, I'll probably, I am probably not going to give too much away uh, right. it, you know by saying this but uh the main character's name is Zach. you know I really was supposed to be called Zach until my grandma said she didn't like the name so you know that part <laughs> of the story obviously you know that you know that borrowed directly from my life um you know other parts where um, there's a part where uh, my daughter uh and my wife you know after my death or after, after Zach's death, Gwen and Zoe, the daughter and the, and the wife, um, they're on their way to uh, to, to, to Gwen's mother-in-law's house, uh, Zach's mother, uh, for a Christmas dinner. And they do this thing where they, they do a freak out to REO Speedwagon, where they roll the windows down and they just start banging on everything. And they're just rocking out to, you know, 80s Schmalty cheese rock blasted way too high. Um We actually just did that in the car last night coming back from pizza place. Uh, So, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of that that's borrowed directly. But then there's also obviously, um, you know, kind of up to a point, it just stops. And from that, you know, it's basically, you know, up until the point where Zach dies. um, From that point on, there's obviously very little because – thankfully i'm still alive but from that point on it's it's all you know there might be an anecdote here or there that that references back to uh you know when zach was alive um that pulls from from my past or or someone else's past um but for the most part it was it's really just that you know zach's kind of historical character base um it, it does you know rest heavily on on my own experiences so i figured that was a good way to kind of work in the autobiographical aspect to it, but still make it interesting because, like I said, nobody really cares. (laughs) Hmm. Or at least, you know, my my thought was nobody would really care to read a story if I just wrote, you know, the autobiography of Jason Pierce. Well, great. Who's Jason Pierce?
1: Now, when you approached this for the first time, did you know that this was going to be novella length? Were you expecting it to be a longer novel or something shorter, like a short story?
2: Um I was always kind of shooting for uh you know 40,000 words was was my goal. Um and that was just kind of an arbitrary goal because I'd read in multiple places like you know once you hit 40,000 words that's pretty much the the standard definition of a novel. Um and so when I got to 40,000 words uh it was I I think I probably ended, actually ended up with about 45,000 um, which is on the long end for a novella, but still, even though technically a novel is, is a pretty short novel. Um, but when I got to that point, it was, you know, if I, I kept thinking if I'm try, if I'm going to add more to this story, it's just going to be filler. It's just going to be fluff. I mean, I've already, I've got the you know the 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 main plot is there. You know, the character development is there. Um, you know, everything that needs to be in this story and keep it a good story is already there. Uh, So if I were just to go in there and and add, you know, descriptions for the sake of word count or, uh, you know, just kind of extraneous fluff for the, you know, just to to pad it, uh, to make it a little bit thicker on a bookstore shelf. Um, To me, I I hate when authors do that uh, because, and and it's, it's obvious to me when I'm reading a book that, you know, this is just, you know, this doesn't do anything to further the plot. It doesn't really do anything to add to the story. It's just kind of... You know, I don't need 10 pages describing you know a room uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: if it's not going to go anywhere after that. Uh, you know, I've got my own imagination. I can infer from what you've told me what the room looks like based on you know maybe a page or two. Sure. Um So it, it wasn't any it wasn't a, a conscious decision to 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 to, to write a novella. Um, it was just basically you know like I said I wanted to get to that 40,000 word count so I could have you know a technical you know an official novel. Um, and then once I got there it was um you know I'm glad I kept it at that length because then Black Hill Press was able to pick it up and and run with it the way they did um so so yeah it was pretty much that's that's how it turned out in terms of how I ended up with that length but there are times where um you know I interact with a few authors on Twitter uh that uh, that I read a lot um and for the most part they seem to be british authors um and the, uh, they're they pretty good at, uh, at, at, you know, at answering and corresponding with their readers. Uh, so, you know, I, I would ask them questions, you know, do you guys obsess over word count? Because I'm really obsessing over word count. Uh, and, you know, for the most part, the answers were along the lines of, you know, no, I don't generally obsess. I just write and whatever happens, happens. Uh, and, you know, these guys, they'll write short stories and then they'll write, you know, novels of 400 pages. Um, and just whatever they come up with is what they come up with. They don't really set out to do one certain thing. Uh, so I took that, and I said, you know, that's, you know it sounds good to me. I'll, I'll take that advice because I'd never really written anything before, um, <clears throat> you know, of this length uh, or, you know, of this style. So I took that advice, and I just ran with it and, and ended up with, uh, with, with Renaissance Spook.
1: Did you have an outline when you started, or did you just start diving in? I know you, um, you got the first few yeah. chapters and it went to the end, but, like, did you know, kind of have it written down or laid out of where the story was going to go?
2: A little bit. Um, and, and basically it was, I mean, it was less than a one-page outline um, with just probably six or seven, you know, high level, you know, this happens first, uh, you know, this happens second, uh, you know, Zach dies, you know, Zach goes to work for Horace um zach has these adventures this happens here this happens here and it wraps up this way um which was good because it kind of gave me a map to you know what each chapter should be about um but then i go back now and i look at the the original kind of storyline that i that i you know storyboarded out back then or the outline that i put together and it's so completely different from what the finished Mm -hmm. product was um i mean it, it just differs so much Um, so it's, uh, you know, it it was good for a start and get me started, but, um, yeah, I I did not stick to it faithfully whatsoever.
1: Let's talk a little bit about your concept of the afterlife, since that is, you know, the majority of this story takes place in, uh, this palazzo and, um, uh, your version of what, it's not even the afterlife, it's kind of like just the other side um, yeah, I, I we would call it the afterlife that. because you know it's you go from the what do they call it being a breather or meat <laughs> to uh, uh, the other. But um, where wh- where did that come up with your vision of it, your way of uh, uh, of describing it, and jumping in through the paintings, all of that? How, was it, was that just something that you thought up on the spot, or was it something that you developed over time?
2: um it was it was pretty much uh it wasn't something that I'd really thought about um in terms of you know the afterlife being based in kind of this nether florence type of renaissance thing um the if anything and, and i don't even I, I can't quite remember how it turned out um it might uh you know I, I obsessed over the title a lot. Um, and uh, I'm probably not going to go down this road because I'll probably give away way too much. Um, but the title might have preceded the fact that it was based in in this Florence, this Renaissance-style Florence. Um, so it, it might have just been me coming in, and I feel bad that I don't remember quite how I, how I styled this. Um, but I think it might have been a situation where I designed this this vision of the afterlife, this this little kind of you know, other side, uh, based on, you know, what I needed to get across for the title, sure. um, but the, uh, yeah. So the, I mean, I, I was tr- careful with, or I tried to be careful with my vision of the afterlife because I didn't want to go completely against, you know, people say, don't talk about religion or politics, but I tried to not offend anyone anywhere by saying, you know, this is, um, you know, obviously it's a work of fiction, but I didn't want right. people to say, "Well, that can't be true because you know my yeah. my faith tells me this, or or you know my faith tells me that." Um, or, no, you're very no you were very
1: democratic about uh, <laughs> that's a different department.
2: That's a different exactly. department. We, we don't I don't know about that department. That's a different department. Exactly. So I just tried to throw on you know uh, just another level of of the afterlife or the other world that people might just not have never known about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why exactly yeah you know that's not my department we're not even going to touch that um, you know that's that that line is thrown out at least once or twice by uh, by the directors uh, in 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 the on the other side um, so yeah so I tried to keep that line there where you know it's not saying one way or the other uh, you know what's right what's real um, you know people keep referring to it as heaven and then people have to try and, you know, the directors and and whatnot tell them to take a step back, you know, how many times I have to tell you this isn't heaven.
1: Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's,
2: that's another department or that's, that's another, you know, completely different world. Um, so, yeah, so that I, that ambiguity in there, I tried to keep so exact, like you said, to be a little diplomatic in the way that that subject was approached because it can be a touchy subject for a lot of people.
1: Now, as I read through it, I wrote a book uh, that just came out with Black Hill Press called "How to Succeed by Failing." And instead of making it into this fictionalized story of my life, I actually decided to write my story. But I feel that there are these things that have come in, you know, whatever, whether it's some director who's living in a French, uh, an Italian palazzo, uh, or if it's just bad luck. There are things that have happened that have, like, led me right up to the door of, you know, these immense possibilities and then the door slams in front of me or, you know, the I hit my head and the birdseed falls all over me. You know what, these things I feel like actually are happening uh, that are I saw the movie Truman Show and I'm like, ah, maybe that's it. Maybe this is all just a big joke and that's why I can only get so far is that something that you felt or is it just like uh it was just such a fantastical idea to create not that you actually believe there's a director directing our lives but sometimes you know there are these things that you you just can't explain that keep happening and we try to come up with some sort of explanation for it
2: yeah, and, and that's pretty much, you know, at, at the point where where I started writing Renaissance Spook, it was after, you know, a string of just really bad luck, um, and it was one of these times where, you know, you start thinking, like, you know, if, if it were not for bad luck, I would have none, because yeah. it was, you know, probably a couple of weeks after I lost my second job in as many years right before Christmas each year, um, you know, just, and, and I think I, I lay out in the early, uh, you know, the early portions of Renaissance Spook, you know, these things that happened to Zach, um, you know, finally paying off all your debts and then the dog needs emergency surgery right, or, right. you know, making the, uh, the volleyball team and then riding the bench, the, you know, the entire time or whatever, anything like that. Um, you know, I, I just had a, a an experience. Um, probably two or three weeks ago. Uh and my, my current employer probably isn't going to hear this podcast, but I was interviewing for a job and it was the perfect job, just absolutely perfect. Um, international travel, good pay, just you know, everything I've always been looking for in a job. Uh went through the entire process. You know, the hiring manager tells me how great, you know, it was to meet me and how excited she is about my candidacy. And then I go on vacation, I get a call, I'm walking around Disney World to tell me that they went with somebody else who had a little bit more experience. So it's it's one of these things where yeah. it's always you know you, you walk right up to the door and then it just slams.
1: Yep. And
2: you think it can't be me, you know. There, there's something else at work here. Uh, it's kind of and I don't know I if that's
1: a, a universal feeling or maybe <laughs> it's just like that. There there is 50% of us or however many that are going through this dark comedy, you know. That, <laughs> exactly. Like the, the cloud is always there, but it's never you know you, you're not getting eaten alive by squirrels. So it's never that bad. It's just never as great as it could be. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe we just have skewed view and it really is great. And, you know, we're not living on the street and we're, you know, whatever. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Perspective, yeah, I, I guess. is. to
2: um, It was, uh, and this was back during one of my, my unemployed stretches, um, where I had, uh, I had driven all the way down into, uh, into downtown Chicago in rush hour to go to a job interview that was just a complete waste of time. Uh, and I get back into the car to drive out and realize the battery's dead.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And this was the day after I had just jumped somebody else in a parking lot. And I think I posted on Facebook something along the lines of it was really bitter. It was like, you know, thanks karma. You know, I, I helped somebody out last night and decided to <laughs> pay me. Um and one of my friends uh I went to high school with uh and he, he posted something on that that'll it'll stick with me forever and you know I'm not particularly religious or or, or anything, you know, that you know anyway what he said was, um don't think of it as karma or or whatever the universe you know screwing you over by giving you a dead battery what if that dead battery just saved you from getting into a horrific car accident on the way home yeah and i saw that and i was like that that's genius i think yeah. whatever your views are on on anything you know if if things happen for a reason you know it gave me chills when he posted that which you know normally things like that don't affect me that way so it was And and that kind of led into the fact of, okay, well, yeah, you know, if if somebody does have their hand in something, uh, you know, even if something does turn out bad or, I mean, a a dead battery is not bad in the grand scheme of things. Sure. Um, But, you know, something like that that people might complain about as being an inconvenience, well, the alternative, if the alternative is getting into a head-on crash on the freeway, then, yeah, it's –
1: Yeah, you Uh, you would rather take that dead battery any day. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's interesting, too. And again, it's like these things aren't, you know, tragic, horrific. They're just like little roadblocks or obstacles. Oh, like I have to climb over another wall and jump over another pit and then army crawl under this barbed wire, but I'm still making progress. I mean, that's the way I look at it. Yep, yep. Um, And then it's, you know, especially being a father, I have a, a daughter as well. And, and, and you see like, well, she's always has food to eat. She always has a, a roof over her head. She has clothes to wear. She goes to school. Like there's, you know, we're doing our jobs. Right. Even though we see like, it should be better. Should it be easier or, or, or you compare yourself to, you know, I knew this kid who won everything? Ended up on a game show and won the game show, you know, both prizes on the the uh, Price is Right, and and uh, got chosen to be in all of these things. And for whatever reason, he just had that golden key that got him everything. But uh you know, I don't know, I don't know. What yeah, what no, that, and do. that was
2: kind of where, you know, I I kind of alluded to it before. But when I first started writing Renaissance Book, it came, it was coming from a really dark place. Um, which, if you read it now, you—I mean—you might pick up a little bit of that, but it's—it's it's not a dark book at no. all. No, no, no. Um, no. It's, it's pretty much the exact opposite of it. Um, so, but when I first wrote it, when I first started writing it, I mean, it, it was literally, like I said, I, I'd just gotten laid off for the second year in a row. I've got uh, a daughter who was four years old at the time in preschool, and you know, I had a huge life insurance policy, and. It was one of these things where it was like, you know, and again, you know, the wonderful life thing, I, I, I thought, it, you know, and never more than, you know, a split second. So it sure. wasn't like, you know, I was suicidal, but I was right, right. like, wow. Standing I'll,
1: on the bridge and yeah.
2: Yeah. How awesome would it be for my family if I were just to like get hit by a bus today and they come into the, you know, two and a half million dollars or whatever the heck the policy was for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I immediately, you know, just snap out of it and think like, no, you idiot like that's the worst thing you could do like and then i would think of you know all the friends that i've you know all these friends i have you know these girls who's um you know they've lost their fathers along you know over the years and you know i see kind of you know every father's day the you know the pain that they go through because their dad's not around anymore and i think like you know that's exactly what i would be doing to my daughter if you know the money. She doesn't care about the money, right? Uh, at least I hope she wouldn't. But um, so it's you know it's one of these things where uh, you know the, the thought never lasted long, but it at least sparked me to start writing this book. Like you know, all right, this you know Zach's dead. Um, they've got the insurance money. They're set. You know they don't need to worry about any any sort of you know. The day to day worries, but you know, they still have their lives to lead. It's not like they're, you know, they're rich, you know, it's not like she's an heiress traveling around the world with a dog in her purse type of thing. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, they still lead normal lives. Um, it's just without, without daddy. Um, when you
1: captured the, uh, the pain for him of going back and, and watching them, not even like, Crying and suffering and sobbing, but just there, there's like a quiet that he experienced and and how much pain that causes him, or the you know Gwen picking up the daughter and her looking for her dad and not really understanding why he's not there. Like uh, you, you you capture the torment of the absence really well.
2: Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, that's, um, again, that was you know, as a writer, I kind of felt like I was cheating at that point, um, because all I had to do was just picture myself in that situation. You know, what, what would happen if, you know, my daughter were three feet away from me, but I, you know, she didn't know I was there, you know, I couldn't Mm -hmm. reach, I couldn't hug her, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't be a father to her, I just had to kind of stand as, you know, like this impartial witness uh, from the outside looking in. Um, So, you know, from that standpoint, it was easy for me to to come up with these emotions, you know, and it's not often throughout the book, so it's not just one sob story. Right, um, right. You know, it's it's maybe, you know, three or four times throughout the entire book where there's a situation like that. Um, like, so it was just easy to kind of step inside myself and think, you know, what would I do in that situation? Uh, and, you know, on the flip side, I tried to capture, uh, you know, I, I picked up on, you know, I used – the, you know, the thoughts and feelings that I picked up from some of my friends along the years of, you know, what would it be like to lose a parent or to not have a parent? Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to still have both of my parents around, but, um, you know, even my own parents, they've lost, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, all of my grandparents are dead. So, you know, looking at my parents and the absence that, you know, not having their parents has, right. the effect it has on them, you know, I can draw from them to, to kind of infer what uh, what Zoe would think when she was 25 26 years old and and you know missing her her daddy
1: hmm.
2: so it was um i don't know maybe it's not cheating maybe all the writers do that but uh you know that's at least how i was able to come up with uh at least get the emotions down on paper for those parts
1: well from a father's perspective it definitely had an impact and uh and i i really yeah i appreciated the book i think i don't want to say greater than somebody who hasn't experienced having a child, but I definitely right. it connected with me. Um, um, that is, all, unfortunately, all the time that we have, but I, I again, thank you so much for, uh, uh, for writing this wonderful book, and thank you for
0: taking the time to chat with us today. Great. No, thank you for having me. This has been The How, The Why by 1888. I'm John Barrett Ingalls. The show is produced by Kevin Stanick and yours truly, with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The music is Lua by Basa Zuzu. I wanted to thank everybody for your creativity and your inspiration and to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you.